Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Let me begin reading in Isaiah 43 and 19. Because we have a new beginning. The new year is a time of of new beginnings. And he says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know of it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God uses events in our lives to shape us, to teach us, to grow us, doesn't he? Some of the key events that are sparked maybe by sin sometimes, sin against us, or that our own sins, our own mistakes, missteps, maybe sometimes even by our own confusion. Memories of the past sometimes too easily hold us back. We might feel kind of shackled in that uh, our, our failures, our regrets, our ignorance, our foolishness, our sin. That seems like it's not allowing us. But however, God doesn't want us bound to our past. There are consequences, of course. But when God saves us from death, we deserve from our sin. He frees us from the guilt, from the shame of that former life also. He frees us so that we can be useful to Him, to have a fresh beginning. He frees us to receive the good things that He wants us to have. And if our past feels kind of like a wilderness, know that God wants to make a road through that. He wants to give you a path, perhaps to even be able to navigate and see how good a salvation we have. And if your past feels like a desert land of death, God wants you to see the rivers of redemption, how it flows and brings about a great beauty in your life. So I hope that we embrace a fresh beginning. This has been one of my favorite verses, Ezekiel chapter 2. And I'm going to read just the last part of of chapter 1 and chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. We went through the book of Ezekiel on Wednesday night just recently and this verse had been, it just reminded me, it's been one of my favorite verses especially as a young preacher. For he says, so when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking and he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, and he set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and stubborn children. 
I am sending you unto them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they will hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that a prophet has been among them. And I hope that in this new year that will be your goal. That people will see something very different in your life. That they will see that there's been a Christian among them. That there's been someone unlike the, those of the world. That there, we're entering into the last days. We see the pestilence and I hope that 2021 is a better year, but I fear that it's going to be even worse. I fear that we're going to see more things. Now we have a new, what is it, a new composite to the old, to the coronavirus, making it more and more uh, easily caught or whatever it might be. But God is in control. And He is moving in our world to cause people to look to Him. And therefore, we want to stand as God's people, kind of like the prophet Ezekiel. Whether they hear or whether they forbear, they're going to see your life. They're going to hear your testimony. I had a pastor, dearly beloved, that I always remembered. He said, when you don't know what to say, brag on Jesus. And when that simple idea, there have been so many times that has stuck in my mind. He had preached many, many wonderful sermons, but I remember that so well because there have been so many times you just don't know what to say. You just don't know what to, how can I console somebody? I just know, brag on Jesus. And let him, he'll, he'll just see you through. His words will do more than what we could ever think or imagine. So that leads me now to Matthew 18, to our text. <laughs> that I've said all of that because those were just some things on my heart and I've just looked forward to. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. Although, let me just say that this is the fourth out of five discourses that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. And this discourse records the childlikeness of a believer. How should we, how can we be, uh, have that childlikeness? And this continues through the end of this chapter. So I, even though we're just looking at a little bit, I want, us, I want you to realize there's something that's gone before and that's after. So we're just taking a portion of what Christ said. Because it looks like in verse 18, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as a little child as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. As I said, this is the fourth discourse. 
And Jesus goes on to talk about what happens to those that were offended and how to bring back and how to help a, an offended brother or how, how to restore someone. And much of that uh, is in the last part of chapter 18. Just before this, Jesus had Peter come and say, what about the temple tax? Who should pay the temple tax? And Jesus says, we don't want to offend someone, but because we are the sons, and, and Jesus asked Peter, he says uh, in verse 25 of 17, and when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will receive a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So Jesus uses a miracle of a fish that has enough money to pay the temple tax only because he did not want to offend them. And that has seems to have prompted and, uh, uh, and some of the things that go on in chapter 17 have prompted the disciples to come and say, who is greatest? If we're sons that are free, who's greatest in the kingdom? Some of the disciples, you remember, some of them wanted to, and even got James and John, got their mother, you know, the wife of Zebedee, go to Jesus and say, hey, let my sons be on your right hand and your left hand. They wanted a place of, of, of preeminence. They wanted that great place. And so they get mom to go ask Jesus. Well, that, of course, didn't go over very well. So they're asking the question, who is the greatest? Jesus brings in a little child. Huh. Have you noticed? Children haven't lost their wonder. There was a revival preacher, Gypsy Smith, of the hundred years ago, a colorful preacher. And when asked him, how was it that he always kept the message alive and fresh? He says, I've never lost the wonder of my salvation. Here was a man who had been raised as a gypsy. But God saved him. Christ's blood washed. And he said, I'd never lost the wonder of my salvation. <laughs> if there's ever anything we need to hear in this new year, I hope that you will ponder and wonder of the grandness, of the greatness of your salvation. <laughs> My three-year-old grandson, he's now, we were talking earlier how he's always with us. He's running around and he's at that stage where he asks, why? Why? Grandpa, why this? Why that? Why this? At the age of three, four the children are at a stage of wonder. At four, they're asking all the questions. At 18, they know all the answers. <laughs> you see how it is when we're a 
a child with the commonest humdrum day it is glorified. They see it, the discovery of some little thing. Every day is a new adventure. They maybe go on about a third of the facts and two-thirds fantasy, but everything to them is, is wonderful. It is exciting. I'm amazed my grandson can find a pot of ashes and it's just a recipe for the greatest things and I see a mess. <laughs> but you see, in his eyes, it's wonder. Maybe the Lord wants us to come back to a place where we see God doing simple things, little things. And He makes life interesting for us when we see Him moving in the little ways and our Minds are just filled with the wonder of how God loves you, how He loves me, and how He continues to bring us around. It's not long before kids, especially in our day and age, with video games, TV, and internet, and all of those things, that children have seen everything. Maybe grow up a little too fast. Youngsters become cynical. They become fed up. Old before their time. They lost, they've lost the wonder of God's great creation. You know, the Mennonites have a saying, we are too soon old and too late smart. I think that's very true. I wished I could go back and know what I know now and be young again and have all that vigor and vitality. Well, Teddy Roosevelt, remember, he was in his 60s and goes to the Amazon River. By the way, for our younger People, you know, Amazon is not just a store. It's not an online store. There is an Amazon. There is a real river. And sometimes I forget that we, you know, have so many new terms. And I'm still talking old-fashioned. So Teddy Roosevelt goes to the Amazon. And he's been asked why. Because it just about killed him. As a matter of fact, later on they attribute Teddy Roosevelt's death because of his trip to the Amazon. And his answer was, it was my last chance to be a boy. Well, many of us have lost the art of meditation. I'm not talking about striking a pose, humming some mantra, and emptying everything from your mind, instead taking time to be quiet and just reflect on God's Word. Just taking time as a child had time to do nothing. A child has time to do nothing and yet is filled with all kinds of things of his imaginations that could come. he could come up with. I, I remember our kids... They built a roller coaster out of some of dad's old wood. And they took the old red wagon. And of course they put their baby sister to test it out. <laughs> they didn't want to test it out. They put their baby sister in it to, to try it. Their imagination that they could build a roller coaster in the backyard out of some old scrap wood. Have we lost the imagination of what God can do in our lives? Have we lost the vision of what God might want to do in our hearts? Have we lost the wonder? <laughs> Have we just said, well, I, there's nothing I can do? Well, yeah, you know what? There was a time when I used to say, Dad, there's nothing to do. But Dad had a list for me. <laughs> if you're bored and you don't, you don't have, I've got, you can do this, you can do that. Well, remember, 
Now when we recognize that we come to the Lord and say, Lord, there's nothing I can do. He's got a long list for you. He's got much you can do. In our world, it's changed. I remember as a kid going up to the creek, catching uh, pollywogs and catching crawdads. And it wasn't very long later that the city or county came in and they cemented that creek, made a beautiful park out of it. But no more crawdads, no more pollywogs. The imaginations of when you were a child of what you were going to do with these polywogs and crawdads and all those sorts of things. Do you remember those back? Well now we sit in front of a TV with so many channels and nothing worth watching and our eyes are as big as cantaloupes and our brain become as small as peas. And I want you to get back to where you can imagine that God can use you and do great things in you and use you and make you something that only God can do. I read a verse that I'd read I don't know how many times back in Genesis 24 and verse 62. And Abraham's servant was off getting a bride for Isaac. But the scripture says there that Isaac meditated in the fields in the evening. And the wording there gives you the idea that this was something that he did on a day-by-day -day basis. He took time to go and be a part Put the, an end to the events of the day. Think about them, but think about the Word of God and think about the promises of God and think about what God was going to do in him and think about the great things that God could possibly do. And he looks up. God is bringing his wife. The Lord had just worked it out. It's a beautiful story back there. In Genesis 24. If you want, just read that again. See how God was working. And Isaac just trusted like a child. Old William Law said this. And I can't say it quite as well as he did. How am I to lay wrapped up in my bed of a morning. When the farmers are up about their work. And I'm so far behind in my sanctification. There's so much to do. So much they're about their work. Hi, let me interrupt very quickly to let you know and update you with some information. You can contact us at schoolofministryresources.org, all runs together, or contact me personally at paul at landmarkstockton.com. We also have online services on Facebook at Landmark Stockton that all runs together. Or if you're interested in our church history sessions, you can look on YouTube under Landmark Stockton, two separate words in that place. We'd love to send you information and we're always so glad to hear from our listeners. So please feel free to contact us and we'll write back to you. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Sometimes we lose the wonder of the in the work. We get so highly organized in ministry, and I've got to, I'm talking about some of the things I've looked at in my own life. I've, I, I've just got so wrapped in what I had to do that I forgot the wonder and the glory of God's salvation and the glory of His Word and the excitement that comes in our Christian life. We ought to be having a life full of wonder, not just organized activity, a life of seeing God working, a life of seeing what God can do. That He's doing it today. A life of faith. Trusting that He's bringing someone to you. 
That He wants to use you. He's going to bring someone into your life. We've got to get busy lest we miss the opportunity. Ours is to be a life of faith. A labor of love. And a life filled with the hope of God doing. You know, to the Apostle Paul, to the Thessalonians, he said that they had a work of faith, a labor of love, and patience of hope. But to the Ephesian crowd, who later in, a, in the book of Revelation, they had lost their first love, Paul said that they had work and labor and patience. You see the difference? When they've lost the wonder of the hand of God working. So in light of work, there's three type of folk, aren't there? Well, here's little children. <laughs> Here are the little children. And Jesus said, unless you become a little child and be converted, it's that simple. I'm just amazed that my little granddaughter at five years of age, she wanted it. She kept calling grandpa, i got to get saved. I want to get saved. Why? Because she understood what she needed. And she knows that God loves her. She knows that Jesus loves her. Nothing else suited them. You see, we've got to become as a little child. I'm sure that the disciples wanted to see, well, if you become like some hero, some great person of the past, some great man of faith of the past, then you'll be greatest in the kingdom. And he brings a little child. You know what? Sometimes God just flips the, our ideas on edge. He just changes things around. So it's no tycoon, it's no scholar, it's no popular hero that he says to look at. He says, bring a little child. Unless you become like a little child. As a matter of fact, over in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaks about them, about some of these little children. And he uses, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. But what shall I liken this generation to? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. You see, the children were in the marketplace and they were playing. They piped, they played wedding, they mourned, they played funeral. The whole business looked real. The whole business looked like the actual thing. And here Jesus is talking to that generation and saying it's just hypocrisy. It was just play acting. And that's why he's saying maybe you need to look at the little children. To be like the little children that just simply believe. Jesus said that hypocrisy was that John, they said, had a demon. That Jesus was a glutton. And they failed to recognize their own life. To have a childlike life. You know, revival is possible today. I don't know how. I don't know how with, the, with all of the uh, restrictions our government wants. And, and we need to be careful. I'm, I'm saying, yes, absolutely. We need to follow. And, and we need to be law-abiding. 
But how we can have a revival, and I know God can do it. I don't know how He can do it, but He can do it, and He will do it. Revival is possible. We are not children carried about on every wind of doctrine, to be, but we are to be speaking the truth in love. And if we do that, He brings about revival. If we follow simply, but we are to grow up. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child, but then I put away childish things. You see... We might look at the second area of our life and say we need to be mature. We need to be grown up in our spiritual life. So what's Jesus telling us to be childlike? To be mature, not cast, not like children moved around by every wind of doctrine, but that we would have a childlike faith and trust to become childlike. It's not so much... It's not something I, I think that we can learn, but something that we unlearn. It's sometimes having that sense of surprise. Not a sense of expectancy, but a sense of surprise that God can do. And we're standing back and we're saying, wow, how did God do that? How did that happen? You know, sometimes we pray for rain, but we don't take the umbrella. We've got to think about, do we really believe God? Anything can happen. Don't take it for granted. It's so wonderful to see a brand new child of God, a brand new believer, and he's got his Bible and everything is fresh and he's new and he's learning so much. And then sometimes older Christians, calm down, you'll get it, you'll get it. We want to just remove that zeal and that excitement. But if we can gain that wonder, if we've lost it, there's a price to play. It, it, a price to play, pay if we've lost it. It will humble your pride. Shatter your complacency. That's what the disciples, they were looking to say, man, if I could just do this one thing or that, then I'll be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you've got to be like a child. Childlike faith, childlike wonderment, childlike trust. It'll humble your pride, shatter your complacency. But it's worth it. It's worth it to be revived. It's worth it to have that. And let me just ask, does that grace appear as precious as when you first believed? Does that grace of God still have that taste? <laughs> there ought to be something in the Christian experience. Uh, there are fountains all around our city. Fountains across the nation and the world that are always shooting out fresh water, but they never taste it. It's like the old baker baking bread every day, but he lost his taste for the bread. Have we just gotten into a rut that we just go through, kind of like the children where we're play-acting, like that generation that Jesus spoke about, where we're just going through the motions because we know that that's right. That's what happened to the church at Ephesus. They were doing all the right things, but they were just going through the motions and they had lost the love and the wonderment of the Savior. There ought to be something about the Christian experience that smacks the lips, if you would. There ought to be some zest. There ought to be some taste. There ought to be some relish, something that's real. I miss looking out on faces of whole congregation. 
But I can remember past, uh, many, many years past, looking out on some old mossy back deacons. That's just an old term from <laughs> way, way back where, well, we won't get into all that. But I would see expressions. I'd see expressions of, oh, preacher, you're getting, you're going too far. You shouldn't be saying that. And I could see those expressions there of, you know what, because it's easy to find fault with the preacher rather than look at ourselves. <laughs> it's easy to say, oh, that preacher shouldn't be preaching that. Instead of saying, Lord, what have you got for me? <laughs> I've seen sometimes happier expressions on the old iodine bottles. I don't know, do they put that on iodine? Do we use iodine anymore? <laughs> the old skull and crossbones. Well, I am old. I am old. You see, the Spirit of God, when there's, He's convicting, we need to look at ourselves and say, Lord, what is it that you have? What is the refreshing experience? What is it that you want to do? And just ask God to make you usable. He's already using you to your ability. But is He using you all that He can? He'll wear you out. And He'll take and He'll make you over. And He'll make you fresh. You know, many a pastor loses his freshness and his excitement for the Word. And like Ephesus, it becomes a labor, not a labor of love. There are many churches, they don't need a new pastor. They need a renewed pastor. They're looking, well, we need somebody else. But they need a pastor who is renewed. Because the Scripture says the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. It's easy to lose that first love for the Lord and still be busy about His work. What about old Samson, the judge found in the book of Judges? His hair shorn. He's at the treadmill. He is bound and he's pressing on the treadmill, grinding, 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 on that grinding wheel, bound and bind, and he's there to grind. Samson, have you lost the wonder? Have you lost what God could do? Have you lost the sense of God working in you and through you? Well, of course, we know the end of the story. Finally, he gets it. Finally, he sees the power was that was in God. Have you lost the wonder? Sometimes churches become dry. They become flat. They become exhausting. It becomes a bore. We used to sing a song, and we can't really sing anymore. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder at how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful is my love! I can't even go on with it. You know the song. Oh, how wonderful! Oh, how marvelous! And my song shall always be. Is that still for you? Can you still say, oh, how wonderful! Oh, how marvelous is my salvation! Or does it become exhausting? Too many... Don't sit amazed. Too many want to sit and be amused. Churches today try everything but revival. They're trying everything but getting back to the Word of God. They're following after the world. As a matter of fact, I heard of one church a while back that they brought in a trained horse. And this trained horse, the trainer said, All right, 
The horse's name was Mo. Alright, Mo, how many commandments are there in the Bible? Horse pods out ten. Very good, very good. How many apostles are in the Bible? The horse trods out twelve. Some smart aleck in the audience cries out. How many hypocrites in the church? <laughs> the church goes, the, the horse goes into a dance and he's on all four. Well, <laughs> the bad joke, bad joke. <laughs> you see, sometimes we become dry, sometimes we forget the amazement of what God can do and we don't want to be like Israel and be a hypocrite. We want to see God working in our life and we want to have that amazement where it's, oh God, how marvelous, oh how wonderful. And my love, my song shall always be. Well, churches sometimes that have started on fire end up in smoke. We lose that love. But many now have a deeper, a dearer, a sweeter love. Mature Christians that take in young believers and instruct the young believers. You know, that's the way God told us. That's the way God wants us to do. To take in a young believer and train them up. And then, you know what? We get some of the zeal. We get some of the excitement because we see hey, what we've known for so long. They're just getting it. You see the light bulb goes on sometimes. Yeah, they get it. They understand. And that prompts you into a new zeal. It prompts you to want to do more. And so they move us older, mature Christians to want to be zealous. And we help them grow and understand the Word of God. You see, that's the way the Word works. That's why I keep saying we want to reach people and teach people. That's our goal. Well, young, zealous believers ought to push us and others to grow. My old pastor always said, brag on Jesus. Had another pastor that always said, just stay close to Jesus. I don't remember all those sermons, but I remember those things so true that helped me on a day-by-day -day basis. So the secret of growing, the secret of going and glowing as a child of God, just don't get over it. Don't get over the amazement of your salvation. Don't get over the wonder of what God can do. You can call it your first love. You can call it revival. You can say it's a victorious life. I don't care what it is. But you want to come back and say, I've never lost the wonder of Jesus. It's the simplicity of a little child. I've known so many fresh young preachers that people begin to flock to them. They want to hear and read and pretty soon it becomes stale. They're saying the same old thing. But we want to have a closer walk with Jesus. I'm teaching my grandson the old song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because I want my grandchildren to be in heaven with us. I want them to know the precious truths of God's Word. And I want them to know Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It'll help you in the tough times. It'll help you through the dark days. We may learn some things through the dark days. And we see how God brings us through to the light.
He may take away what is precious to us, but it'll be worth it in the end. You know, Jesus turned to Peter and he told Peter, Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Maybe today the Lord's just telling us, when we're converted... You see, you can be saved and not be totally converted, not have given over your life. As a matter of fact, that's what he's telling us here in Matthew 18. When you're converted and you become like a little child, that's opposite of the way the world looks at things. We think we've got to get better. We've got to know more. We've got to have... But we need to have that sense of wonder of the power of God. I'm going to close out with this thought. The prodigal son... He decided, because he was so hungry, laying in a pig pen, he decided to arise and return to his father. But you know what? He did it. He didn't just think about it. He did it. He arose. He got out of the pig pen. And then his father, he said, in childlike faith, well, maybe my father has a, some position that I can go and just be a servant. But let me tell you about your heavenly father. He'll bring you and enwrap you in his arms. And clothe you with a, with a cloak. And a cloak of righteousness and give you the rings. And he'll bring you in as a son. The old song. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms. In the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Don't be like prodigal son. That old one who just went away and he decided he knew what God wanted. He knew that God was doing something. He knew that he could go back to his father. Do you know that you can go to your father today? Have you lost the wonder of your and the excitement of your salvation? Have you lost the wonder of seeing what God can do in your life every single day that brings about revival, that brings about that encouragement, that we're living in a world that's so, so dark that they need the light from your word. They need to know there's been a prophet among them. There's been a child of God. Whether they hear or whether they forbear, they know. There's been a child of God in their midst. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.